This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. The value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. In South Africa, 91 is an authorised financial services provider. It's time now to talk about emerging market asset classes with specific reference to currencies and also debt with Peter Edmunds, who is the head of fixed income at 91 in London. There's been an undoubted and in some cases very dramatic recovery in emerging market asset classes, Peter. There's two prongs to this question. Number one is what has been the catalyst for that? And number two, is it sustainable? First of all, the catalyst for this recovery, please. Yeah, hi, LMC. Yes, I think, you know, Clearly, the, the the stimulus and the policy action taken both by developed market and emerging markets, central banks and uh, and governments has been uh, very helpful in in for asset classes to recover. But of course, it has also been very important uh, to see uh, the econo- economic recovery starting for the market to be able to see through the depths of of the COVID crisis and and at least the direction of travel of growth. Uh, start to become uh, better uh, again. So I think those two together uh, created uh, that momentum for uh, for emerging markets. Uh, but I think it's also uh, important to to realize that this was and is an exogenous shock, right? It's not uh, that emerging markets have built up these um, imbalances and they need time to heal. And in fact, they went through that just before, uh, you know, from taper tantrum years, uh, you know, we've seen an, you know, mid-cycle slowdown in emerging markets. And that was the time when they had excessive credit growth, you know, current account deficits, uh, a lack of, of uh, reforms. And, and that has all started to to improve forcibly so by, by the markets. So actually, if we look at a lot of these fundamentals, for emerging markets pre-COVID, uh, they were in a decent shape, and on, and some of these you know are deteriorating at the margin or or to some extent due to COVID. But the fact that they came into this relatively healthy also, I think, helped uh, this uh, this recovery that we've seen in the last few uh, few weeks. You talk about economic recovery and stimulus in the same answer. Is the economic recovery tangible and, again, sustainable? Because isn't it just a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction and might peter out? That's the first thing. And why does the stimulus from the central banks help the emerging markets? Because it doesn't come from emerging markets. It comes from, you know, obviously organisations like the US Federal Reserve. So first, first question, is it a tangible economic recovery? Yes, we believe it is. Uh, but the, the current speed uh, of recovery out of uh, lockdown – uh, is the fastest and it will be a long slog and it will be a slow uh, recovery from here. I mean, our, our base case, we're projecting GDP levels uh, of the global economy to be back at 2019 levels, not until the end of 2021. So still quite a lot of time to go. And, and, and that, you know, some industries uh, like uh, tourism or flights or uh, et cetera might might still be below the 2019 uh, levels, but others will will grow more normally. Uh, so yes, sustainable for sure. Um, as I said, this is an exogenous shock, and 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 there may be some demand destruction um, and supply destruction, uh, but that is that is only in a few uh, sectors and not uh, broad based. So we certainly you know don't think that, you know this is the the you know foreboding a multi-year depression and and. and 
won't recover from here. So very much sustainable and also for, for emerging markets, which, uh, as I said before, are, are in, a, in a good space on many, many aspects uh, to recover. In terms of the, 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 the policy stimulus, yes, a lot is about, around sentiment. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, a lot is about people, uh, as long as the Fed stimulate, stimulates the U.S. economy, puts a backstop to uh, you know, U.S. equity markets, puts a backstop to U.S. credit markets, that will have a cascading effect into bonds and, and equity mar- uh, from emerging markets. As investors uh, have that comfort, they are also happy to to expand their investments cross border. If the Fed, you know, put, uh, uh, puts uh, a, le- a max level on Treasuries, effectively that hunt for yields will pick up and people will look to emerging markets where the spreads are still still wider. So there are a lot of indirect effects uh, of that Fed stimulus that is helping emerging markets uh, right now. Let's have a look at COVID itself, the pandemic. There are obviously very differing outcomes from different countries and, and different policies that have been implemented. In the emerging market space, which ones have done well and which ones have done badly? And as we go into the Southern Hemisphere winter, which ones might do well and badly? If you can summarize that, because it is an, a, yeah. a very difficult period we've got coming up. Yeah, so as, as much as we believe that the economic recovery will be steady and, and sustainable and therefore investing in emerging markets, uh, we think will will pay off further. Uh, it is, you know, very important to distinguish between the winners and, and, and losers. And, and within COVID, we've seen that, you know, very specifically Eastern Asia, China, um, countries like Korea, um, have been very successful in bringing COVID under control. We've seen Eastern Europe be very successful in in being bringing COVID under control, very similar, and sometimes better than uh, than say uh, say Europe. Yes. Um, what we have seen lag is Latin America, particularly, um, and that is um, partly uh, because of some of the leaders of those countries have not been uh, believers in taking uh, tough uh, lockdown uh, measures. If we think about Brazil or uh, or even Mexico, uh, but what we also see is that you know it is. It is difficult to maintain lockdown or maintain social distancing, I should say, uh, in uh, very informal uh, economies where people, you know, uh, are day workers and and you know, they just need to be out there to, and, and meet people to 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 live and and, and feed their families. Um, so that that we have seen is is tougher in the poorer areas of uh, of emerging markets. But on the other hand, and this is what we wrote a paper about a couple of weeks ago, um, we also see that the demographic benefit of emerging markets is very very uh, strong. You know, the, the COVID has such a strong correlation to age. Uh, and a lot of these emerging markets are much, much younger than uh, than uh, the Western world, yes. uh, and that gives them uh, a benefit. So the jury is out, and we, you know, at the moment, it's a lot about winners and uh, and and losers. But so far, mortality rates uh, are a lot lower, and that's particularly helping, for instance, uh, uh, Africa, uh, which is such a young uh, young population. But also to us, it's not just about COVID and how these markets are managing COVID. It is also what are their tie-ins to the global economy, how, how important is 
the recovery in Europe or in the US or in China to them? How much are they tied into commodities? Are they very reliant on tourism or not? A big, big uh, question mark for, say, a lot of the countries in the Caribbean or a country like um, like Thailand. What space do they have themselves? We've said, you know, the Fed is important uh, to help these um, uh, flows to emerging markets. But what can countries do themselves? Do they have fiscal space? Do they have monetary policy space? So we've added that all up and we, we kind of really ranked countries uh, around not just the health side of COVID, but also the global impact of, of COVID and the sensitivities. And, uh, and then, you know, we, we do see you know, countries where, you know, we we, we feel um, things net-net, there is enough room, there is fiscal space, uh, you know, COVID is more under control or not, or it is more more priced than not. So we can really have kind of countries where we uh, are more favoring like, you know, Peru or Indonesia or Czech Republic or Serbia uh, or, or, you know, even Ecuador. Not that, it, you know, it's been a very, very tough uh, COVID situation, although it's starting to to flatten out the curve. But it is priced for a deep default, and and, and we see we think that the, the restructuring will will offer value for for bondholders. So there's always a question of value. Uh, but then where we are more cautious is, for instance, a country like uh, Brazil, which is not handling the crisis well, yes. and because they were already in a tougher situation from a fiscal point of view, don't have as much room as the others to to react and support their economy. So that's where we. uh, It's certainly an emerging emerging market story when it comes to the handling of COVID. And I I do think that it's going to be a story that's going to go on for months and months, maybe even a couple of years. What about market liquidity? I'll just use the example of South Africa because the bond market froze a while ago and the South African Reserve Bank took steps to inject liquidity into the market to make the the bid and offer spreads easier when it came to capital markets. Uh, What has been the general liquidity situation in the emerging markets that you follow? Yeah, so in the you know in March, uh, early April, liquidity was very very poor. There was a very big fear of of outflows, and there was no buyer of of last uh, last resort in, in in many of these these markets. And and we we really, you know, in local markets and currencies, you still could get things done, but that why there are bit offers, but but some other you know the the less liquid kind of corporate side of things, it was it was often very difficult to, or, or impossible to get things done in those weeks. Uh, that is all normalized, and and the big you know really the the action that the the Fed took to provide um, liquidity has helped spread that liquidity around the globe and, and that has helped but as you say there's been also individual emerging markets that have supported their uh, their markets in some form of of, of qe um, uh, even and then in general i mean the outflows uh, you know they 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 petered out and, and started to turn and, and, and that whole picture, that fear of further outflows dropped uh, a lot. So I don't think we're back at full 100% liquidity, but 70, 80% of the way uh, way there uh, for sure in, in the bulk of our markets. Let's have a look at the oil price now, because the oil price is terribly important for a lot of emerging markets because they're oil producers. I mean, again, I'll reference one particular country, Nigeria. The oil price was at $15 a barrel at one stage, and now it's back at $40 a barrel. So it was on its knees and back at 40 but still a long way away from the heady heights that we saw a couple of years ago. Yes, I mean, oil was a very important part uh, in, in the whole the whole crisis. Um, it was really for a lot of countries uh, that double whammy of, of COVID, global economy on its knees and oil prices so extremely low, way through cost 
price for many many uh, producers. Um, so we we were uh, kind of underweight oil risk, if you like, in our in our portfolios going into into the into the crisis. And, and Nigeria was one where we definitely avoided uh, uh, in investments, uh, but generally most of the. Middle Eastern exports we felt were very expensively priced, and we stayed out of uh, out of that. You know, we had some exposures like uh, Russia or an, uh, or an Angola, uh, where we did feel there was uh, uh, good potential and some value. Uh, but yeah, when uh, when the, the the oil price hit its lows, you know, we we became. Uh, more constructive, we did feel in, in conjunction with our uh, you know commodities team uh, that um, particularly once OPEC plus came back to the table and if you combine that discipline that they shown with uh, you know the the drop in new drillings uh, etc in in US shale because it was just not no longer viable to produce oil at, at those very low levels uh, we felt uh, the balance uh, in the oil market would would return so that's when we added a little bit to 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 the portfolios in in some of the more middle eastern um, uh, uh, oil producers, for for instance, um, you know, we, now we have seen, yeah, it is getting much closer to uh, to fair value. I think we're we're back into a you know a range which is sustainable, say around you know thirty five to two fifty. Um, you know, it's very important that OPEC plus stays uh, committed, and, and and that looks to be uh, that looks to be the case. Um, but it's also again about COVID and and how much uh, demand comes back in in coming. Coming months, as people start driving more and and who knows flying more, so uh, that is um, that is also an important part of the of the question. But you know, definitely at these kind of levels, it is more comfortable. There's some more breathing space for some of these countries that were very badly hit uh, when oil dropped uh, sub twenty. Yes, consumption of oil via driving and airline jet fuel consumption is one for the jury, and that jury is out at the moment. What about aggressive cutting of interest rates? from emerging market countries because it has been uh, they have been rather following developed markets and sometimes quite dramatically yes very much so i mean that uh, uh that has been the the big surprise i mean we all thought uh, the, the the cutting cycles were coming to an end uh, and then of course COVID uh, happened but uh you know for a lot of markets there was uh thankfully room to uh, to cut rates aggressively to to support uh, their economies and and, and uh, you know the aggressive actions by the fed and by by the ecb helped that because it, it gave uh, at least still some buffer in terms of carry but the carry has dropped significantly and i think you know that has been a reason for us to be underweight currency risk in in, in previous months you know it's not a great mix of the, you know deteriorating carry and economic activity uh falling significantly with global trade week and commodity prices week so yeah we were we were uh, cautious on currencies in in our portfolios, but that said, you know, emerging market currencies in in this sell-off reached unprecedented levels of valuation. You know, currencies were already cheap uh, after the the taper tantrum uh, years, uh, so before the COVID crisis, and and they only gotten cheaper. So you're literally looking. Kind of you know two decades uh, you know levels that we haven't seen for two decades in, in uh, effective exchange rates. 
Uh, and if we combine that uh, with kind of the growth picture looking uh, better from here, uh, as uh, but also as you know, we are starting to see China, you know, Europe, um, uh, US uh, doing better. That is also helping current accounts improve in these uh, these these countries because domestic demand is still weak because of COVID in these these countries. With the, the West and China coming out of COVID sooner, uh, that helps current accounts as well. So we we uh, we are getting more of a constructive. We have moved this month to a neutral position from underweight in, in emerging market currencies, uh, and I can see us, you know, moving to a more overweight position in coming uh, coming months. Uh, you know, it, it's typically we saw the same in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. The initial uh, strong returns came from from hard currency bonds. It's, a, it's kind of the less volatile, safer asset class. It's closer to kind of U.S. high yield. In correlations, but then subsequently, three six months later, the trade became uh, emerging market currency trade, and we think that will be the case this time around uh, as well as the economic recovery gets more certainty and more more legs, uh, particularly once we hit you know get a vaccine etc. Uh, on on COVID. You've already answered my last question, which was going to be about that emerging market hard currency versus emerging market local currency versus emerging market corporates, etc. But just sum up the emerging market asset class scene, if that's the right word. Are you still optimistic or do you still think it's vulnerable to a turn down in developed markets should that occur, which many people keep on banging on about? Yeah, I think, I mean, we will probably see, you know, some fallback and some ex- new worries around this second wave of COVID in in places, uh, and I think you know that um, you know there, there will be you know volatility in the markets going forward. It's such an uncertain uh, situation, but net net, I do believe the world is better prepared for a second wave. We know better what to do. We have be- better you know tracking and tracing, etc. Uh, in in place, and we're, cl- we're closer to finding a vaccine. So that might be some setbacks, but generally we think. Uh, you know, we we are seeing positive growth momentum from very low levels, uh, and that is supported, supporting uh, pro-risk assets and emerging market assets are kind of the quintessential uh, uh, pro-risk uh, assets. So, you know, valuations are not reflecting that. We're still uh, seeing attractive spreads um, relative to DM. I mean, hard currency was trading at around 300 in spread, moved all the way to 700, and, and now we, we've recovered uh, just over half of that. Uh, but there is still room, we feel, uh, in those spreads, for instance. So we still run our overweight in hard currency bonds, which we've had now for a couple of uh, a couple of months. Uh, but as I said, we are getting maybe a bit close to taking profit on that, but that could mean a rotation into emerging market currencies for the for the next uh, next lag, which may you know if we get a change in presidency uh, in uh, in the U.S., uh, you know, that could also be helpful for emerging market currencies as as the the risk of kind of trade wars and and uh, onshoring to the U.S. Uh, reduces. So so net net, we think you know based on the fundamentals that I mentioned at the uh, at the start and the valuations uh, that emerging market assets uh, provide a good entry point. But it will also be about winners and, and losers, and, and you, know, you clearly need to do a lot of work on the on the COVID sensitivities and how these trends are, are panning out, and, and what countries can do, and how they are exposed to the global economy to pick uh, pick the right uh, countries for our portfolios. So much for you to think about, Peter. An exciting time, but also a challenging time. Thank you so much for your time. That is Peter Edmunds, who is the head of fixed income at ninety one in London.